around 250 couples filed into a Pennsylvania church on February 28, 2018. Many were dressed formally, tuxedos for the men and white dresses for the women. Some also wore crowns, either ornate or handmade. It was a wedding, but not like any the town of Newfoundland had ever seen, because hundreds of couples, along with the church officials, brought along some unconventional accessories, their AR-15s. This was the Rod of Iron Ministries, headed by 38-year-old Sean Moon. Taking a page from his father, Sun Myung Moon's book, Sean was presiding over a mass wedding. And he wasn't just blessing the faithful couples in his congregation. He was recognizing the weapons, too, which he believed represented the rod of iron mentioned in the book of Revelation. Pastor Sean, or as his followers called him, the second king, was out to build Eden on earth. And the way he saw it, a king doesn't just need a domain, he needs a way to defend it, too. Hi, I'm Greg Polson. And I'm Vanessa Richardson. And this is Cults, a Spotify original from Parcast. Every Tuesday, we look at a cult's practices, their leader, and their followers. You can find all episodes of Cults and all other Spotify originals from Parcast for free on Spotify. This is the last episode in our four-part deep dive into the Unification Church, once commonly known as the Moonies. And we have some bittersweet news to share. This will also be the final episode of Cults. It's been such a privilege to share these stories over the years. This show wouldn't have been possible without the passionate support of our faithful listeners across the globe. So from everyone on the Cults team, we'll miss you, and thanks for listening. Now, let's end the show at a high note. Last time, we followed leader Sun Myung Moon as he faced public backlash in the U.S. for trying to expand his influence there. Despite being embroiled in a political scandal, Moon's Unification Church still expanded in the 70s and 80s, thanks to its international reach. This time, we'll cover the final years of Moon's reign. After the true father's death, his family struggled to stay united, leaving the fate of their empire tenuous and uncertain. That instability continues today, with the recent assassination of Shinzo Abe casting new light on the church's political relationships. We have all that and more coming up. Stay with us. The Hargan women seemed to have it all. We were blessed. My mom was amazing. But detectives would soon discover... Inside the house, there were the bodies of two women. A story of betrayal you would struggle to believe if it wasn't true. I am just praying to God, this is a sick joke. From 48 Hours, this is Blood is Thicker, the Hargan family killings. Listen to Blood is Thicker, the Hargan family killings, starting May 8th, wherever you get your podcasts. With Capella University's FlexPath format, you can set your own deadlines, learn at your pace, and access most coursework from anywhere at any time. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. This episode is brought to you by The Weather Channel. The key to solving any mystery? Smart decisions based on the facts. In the case of the weather's effect on your well-being, turn to the Weather Channel app. It clues you in on how weather shapes your mood, health, and productivity with insights built on reliable forecast data to help you thrive. Because mystery belongs in true crime, not weather. Be a force of nature with the Weather Channel app. By the 1990s, Sun Myung Moon was on top of the world, 
In the span of 40 or so years, he'd gone from a penniless prisoner in a North Korean labor camp to a renowned religious leader and business tycoon. He'd personally met with presidents and dictators, and his church had blessed thousands of married couples, many of whom thought of him as their true father, the successor to Jesus Christ. Of course, he had his fair share of critics, too. And though he was a multimillionaire who also claimed to have millions of disciples, he was still far from his goal of uniting all Christians throughout the world. As Moon reached his senior years, he seemed to realize he couldn't head the church forever. His holy mission of founding God's kingdom on earth would have to be carried out by the next generation. And while he thought of all of his followers as his children, everyone expected his successor to come from his immediate family. As we mentioned in the previous episode, Moon's wife, Hak Ja Han, started taking the reins of the Unification Church in the 1990s. Instead of the true mother filling more of a support role behind the scenes, she took her rightful place by Moon's side. In August 1992, Hak Ja and her husband held the World Culture and Sports Festival in South Korea. The event was to be capped off with one of the largest mass weddings the church had ever organized. On August 25th, 30,000 couples, you heard that right, gathered at the Seoul Olympic Stadium to be blessed by Moon and Hak Jaw. The night before the ceremony took place, however, was when the real bomb was dropped. On August 24th, 72-year-old Moon took to the stage at a private banquet to make a major announcement. Breaking from his usual rhetoric, he introduced both himself and Hak Jaw as the world's messiahs. While Hak Jaw had always been called the true mother of humanity, Moon made it clear she should now be treated as his equal. She, too, was a savior. Hak Ja followed the announcement up with a worldwide tour, traveling to 28 cities around the globe. It was reminiscent of Moon's early speaking engagements in the U.S. back in the 70s, like a coming-out party. And as Moon's special assistant explained, the leader was serious about taking a step back in the organization. They claimed he considered his 1992 announcement to be the official end of his mission. He'd gone as far as he could as the head of the Unification Church. By that point, the 72-year-old had plenty to be proud of. Decades earlier, he struggled to fill a tiny 8x8 room with his followers. Now, he headed a global organization that brought in millions each year. But whether or not he'd completed his mission depends on your perspective. He'd spent much of the last four decades insisting he was going to do away with the disparate Christian denominations. He was going to unite believers under his banner. The moral rod of premarital sex he'd railed against for years hadn't exactly been eradicated. While Moon's following did span several continents, it was dwarfed by more established belief systems. The average person certainly didn't afford Moon the same respect they might give to other religious leaders. But those issues were officially out of the true father's hands now, and since the Soviet Union's fall in 1991, Moon's greatest political enemy, communism, had been dealt a significant blow. So perhaps he felt he was going out on top. And Hak Jaw surged to fill his shoes. She started giving lengthy sermons lambasting the dangers of free sex and drugs. Like her husband, she equated the LGBTQ community's sexual identities with immoral behavior. It was the same old song, simply repackaged and presented by a new figurehead. The fact that Hawk Jaw mostly stuck to her husband's script may have actually eased the transition for many older members. It doesn't seem like there was any major friction among the rank and file as she took on a greater role in the church. 
But the problem with a familiar tomb is that sooner or later, people are going to get sick of it. The Unification Church had secured its influence in places like South Korea and Japan. In the West, though, their numbers weren't impressive. The exact totals are unknown, but the church certainly wasn't finding the same success it had in the 80s. So to help the group appeal to a new generation in the U.S., Hak Ja turned to her adult children. In 1994, she and her kids traveled across the country, speaking at around 100 college campuses. The events didn't exactly set the world on fire. The tour disappointed when it came to turnout and enthusiasm. It was a wake-up call for Hawk Jaw. She realized that taking a leading role in the church didn't guarantee success. Worse, she found it opened her up to more criticism than ever. As she put it, quote, I can speak my testimony and it's the truth, but there are times when I wonder if they will throw stones at me. It seemed like thrusting Hawk Jaw into the public eye did more harm than good in the short term. But the family was committed to its new mission. With Moon's advancing age, they had to be. In 1994, the church changed its name to officially mark the end of Sun Myung Moon's era. Instead of the Holy Spirit Association for the Unification of World Christianity, it became the Family Federation for World Peace and Unification. For simplicity's sake, we'll continue to refer to it as the Unification Church. The name change really cemented the idea that Sung Myung Moon's days were numbered. But though he wasn't intimately involved in every little decision anymore, the church was still up to its tried and true tactics. After the underwhelming 1994 tour, the group went back to the well to leverage its political connections instead. In 1996, the church funded the creation of the Family Federation for World Peace in Washington, D.C. In the audience at the inauguration were former U.S. Presidents Gerald Ford and George H.W. Bush, along with Ronald Reagan's daughter Maureen, Coretta Scott King, and Bill Cosby. Hawk Jaw gave the opening speech. The new Federation's mission, like many of the church's satellite projects, was grand and vague. Spokespeople said the goal was to encourage influential figures to consider family matters when forming their political plans. Nowadays, the Federation's website is more straightforward, serving as yet another recruiting arm for the Unification Church, and it includes information on their mass weddings. Mass weddings quickly became the linchpin of the Church's activities during its transition period. While the group continued making inroads in politics, Hawk Jaw had a major role in widening the scope of the weddings. Prior to 1993, they were largely reserved for active Unification Church members, but as the 2000s neared, the moons started loosening the requirements. The church was now willing to bless any couple who paid the admission fee, which varied between hundreds and thousands of dollars depending on the event. To ask the higher-ups in the group, the reason for the change was that communism had collapsed, thus ushering in a new age of peace and unity. It's also true that larger mass wedding ceremonies led to more money in the bank, and it seemed like the group needed it. As blessings ramped up, the Japanese branches of the church dealt with some legal issues. A lawyer's group claimed that between 1987 and 1996, the Japanese government received more than 17,000 complaints about church activities there. Some Japanese residents claimed that Moon's followers told them their loved ones were doomed to eternity in hell unless they donated large sums of money. According to a 1996 Washington Post article, OA, the Unification Church's chief spokesman in Japan, denied that there was any impropriety in the church's activities there. 
He also denied the allegation that the church had shifted its recruitment efforts toward older people with assets and said the church never pressures anyone into donating money. Owe stated that those who donate do so of their own free will. The new requirements for the mass weddings made the ceremonies more lucrative, but they also changed the entire process of being approved for a blessing. Church members still had to be matched and receive explicit approval from Moon to get married. They also had to jump through other hoops, like bringing in new recruits before the ceremony. But now, since most of the people taking part in the blessings didn't officially belong to the church, those requirements didn't really apply. Members still had to go through some red tape, but they were no longer the majority of participants. So, while the moons eventually blessed countless couples, it wasn't always bringing that many people into the fold or spreading its ideology. Still, that was pretty much the church's strategy in the late 90s. It held blessing after blessing, trying to pump up the numbers as high as possible. Moon's dream was for the church to bless over a million couples by the year 2000. To help reach that goal, outside religious leaders were even allowed to officiate the ceremonies. In 1997, American Reverend Al Sharpton led several ceremonies for the Unification Church. In a New York Times article at the time, Sharpton said, quote, I'm not a follower of them or anyone else, but I give him credit for supporting the idea of family values. Soon, the organization was holding major blessings multiple times each year. To bring in new participants, they lowered costs at some events to less than $200 per couple. It was a numbers game, and all the extra organizing put major stress on the members, who worked tirelessly to stage the events. On top of that, the church was still adjusting to the changes to its doctrine and trying to find a direction for the new era. Elevating the entire Moon family instead of just the true father made a few longtime followers uncertain. In some ways, it was a powder keg. Dedicated followers searched for stability and comfort but didn't always find it. The situation was ripe for another round of bad publicity, and it came right on cue. At the end of 1998, news that the Moon's eldest son had divorced his wife, Nan Suk Hung, spread like wildfire. And Nan Suk wasn't content to let the details remain secret. After what she'd been through, she was ready to air her claims of all the family's alleged dirty laundry. Coming up, the next generation of the Moon family gets a taste of bad press. They say time heals all wounds. But sometimes, time can do anything but. Welcome to Cold Cases, the new Spotify original from Parcast. I'm Carter Roy. Every Monday, join me as I revisit the clues and miscues of some of the most elusive criminal cases in history. From burglary and arson to kidnappings and murder, each episode of Cold Cases explores the many types of crime, the many ways they remain unsolved, and how long it takes to find the answers, if ever. Will justice be served? Only time will tell. Follow Cold Cases free and only on Spotify. Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. 
Go to your happy price, price line. Now back to the story. The news that Sun Myung Moon's oldest son, Yo Jin, split up with his wife shocked the Unification Church. Divorce was taboo within the group. Even though Sun Myung Moon had split with his first wife years earlier, he preached that breaking a marriage went against God's will. For his followers, a relationship wasn't supposed to be about romantic love. Above all, it was about raising Christian families, according to the church's values. But that's not what Yo Jin's wife said she experienced. In late 1998, Nan Suk published a tell-all book called In the Shadow of the Moons, My Life in Reverend Sun Myung Moon's Family. In it, she accused Yo Jin of cheating on her, physically abusing her, wasting their money, and using drugs and alcohol. According to her, the, quote, ideal Christian son went against everything his parents preached. She went so far as to call her father-in-law a con man. It was far from the first time Moon's credibility had been questioned. But it had been a while since an ex-member of the church had published such a scathing account. A U.S. court granted Nan Sook a divorce settlement, signaling that her claims had some legal justification. The book also came with an expose on the show 60 Minutes, which delved into some of Nan Sook's most inflammatory accusations. The Moons responded by partially acknowledging what they described as tragic personal problems our son has faced. A letter addressed to the members of the church asked them to not criticize her, even though we do not agree with what she sets forth in the book. The family pushed back on Nan Sook's story, but didn't get into the details. The day after 60 Minutes aired, Moon told members to not allow these attacks to interfere with his fulfillment of God's will and to not worry about Nan Sook's story. So the statement wasn't much. The church's reputation suffered in the U.S., but it wasn't great there to begin with. In the end, the bad PR was only temporary. Moon publicly forgave his son in 1999. The church plowed right ahead with their mass weddings, blessing a ton of people in Korea that same year. Jumping in to help stay the course were three of Moon's children. We'll start with Yun Jin, who also goes by his American name, Preston. He was named the vice president of the Unification Church in the late 90s. He was one step away from the presidency, which would have put him in the ideal position to succeed his father as leader. A few years later, in 2006, he got a chair on the board of directors of Unification Church International, a nonprofit created to support the larger church. Preston had a strong business mind and seemed to be the clear favorite to step into Moon's shoes. Behind the scenes, however, things were on shaky ground. It seems recruitment numbers in the U.S. weren't reaching expectations, though specifics are hard to come by. The church claimed to have 3 million members worldwide at their peak in the 80s. In the States, outside estimates were typically modest, not much higher than 10,000. By the 2000s, the total was anyone's guess. At the very least, the church wasn't growing fast in the United States, and recruitment rates likely weren't anywhere near their previous high. Yet Sun Myung Moon was dead set on keeping his movement alive in America. It had been the same story for over a decade. He was personally adamant on making headway there, even as the church repeatedly hit roadblocks. No amount of bad news could deter him. So the following years brought more attempts to attract and hold on to younger converts. Eventually, Moon turned to one of his daughters, In Jin, for help. In 2008, In Jin was appointed as head of the Unification Church in the United States. 
Since membership was lagging there, it wasn't as prestigious as Preston's vice presidential position. But it did give her a unique opportunity, because her explicit mission was to attract young people to the movement, though that was easier said than done. Injin had a bold vision for the future of the empire. In essence, she wanted to pattern U.S. operations after modern megachurches. That meant massive houses of worship, flashy televised sermons, and edgy rock and roll music. She renamed the U.S. church Love and Life Ministries. In her sermons, she put on a British accent, despite the fact that she was primarily raised in America. Like many church members, she'd been placed in an arranged marriage. But on stage, she urged followers to choose their own spouses, rather than letting the church pick one for them. To longtime followers, it was practically blasphemy. Injin told NPR that Asian church elders initially resisted her leadership role because she was a woman. Other members resented the big changes and the loss of tradition. Either way, attendance was on the rise, at first. As time went on, however, Injin found it hard to hold her congregation's attention. It was just too different from what people were used to. Some believe the changes destroyed a sense of community that had once seemed so important in the church. Still, Injin pressed forward. Perhaps thanks to her influence, the church reached a compromise on its arranged marriage policies. The parents of members were eventually allowed to match them together for mass weddings. Up until then, the arrangements were left entirely up to the reverends. But even these policy changes didn't have the positive impact the group hoped for. In 2009, the Washington Times reported that the Unification Church had just over 100,000 members worldwide. That's a lot of people, but a far cry from the millions the church was claiming. Preston, the head of the church's nonprofit and golden boy, blamed the lack of progress on the church's outdated recruiting methods. In 2008, he wrote a letter to his parents, arguing for more structural changes to the organization. Moon apparently wasn't too fond of the idea. Weeks later, he surprised everyone by appointing a new president of the church out of the blue. Though Preston was the vice president, he was passed over for his youngest brother, 28-year-old Hyung Jin Moon, who went by Sean. As president, Sean held one of the highest positions in the church, next to his father and mother. His actual responsibilities, though, are unclear. Moon's empire was a complicated web of businesses, nonprofits, and subsidiaries. And while he wasn't the public face of the church any longer, Moon still had the final say on major issues. So it's hard to say what Sean was really allowed to do in his new position. But dealing with his older brother should have been one of his biggest worries. Because after Sean was elevated over him, Preston took matters into his own hands. He had the board members of the nonprofit remove references to the Unification Church in their official paperwork. Then he transferred assets worth at least a half a billion dollars to a Swiss company. It didn't go unnoticed. The larger church, at Hawkjaw's behest, sued the nonprofit, claiming the board had violated its duties. A court agreed and granted the larger church a summary judgment. Years later, the court further found that Preston had proceeded to pillage the company's assets after Moon rejected him as leader of the church. In a 2021 Washington City Paper article about the lawsuit, the church and Preston declined to comment. The true mother had officially struck back at the favorite son. It was one of the first indications that she was still ready and willing to take the reins back for herself. And she would clash with nearly every member of her family to seize control. 
After suppressing Preston's antics, Hak Ja turned her attention back to her daughter, In Jin. The megachurch strategy wasn't working. In around two years, U.S. attendance to In Jin's sermons dipped from 26,000 people to less than 8,000 per month. On top of that, in 2012, In Jin reportedly had a child with another Unification Church member, Ben Lawrenson. Preston had already been caught with his hands in the cookie jar. After Ben confirmed the child was his, In Jin was revealed to be an adulterer, a major sin in the eyes of the Unification Church. It went against everything Moon and his wife had been preaching for decades. When In Jin and Lawrenson were married a year later, the church released a statement saying, True Mother did not give her blessing or consent, and rather sought to dissuade the couple from going through with their plan. Hawk Jaw pressured In Jin to resign as head of the U.S. church and essentially disappear from the public eye. In the aftermath, many of her modernization efforts were rolled back. Love and Life Ministries was no more. After Preston's betrayal and the scandal with Jin, it seemed like the family was at the end of its rope. But there were more emotional blows coming. On September 3, 2012, Sun Myung Moon passed away in a hospital in South Korea. The 92-year-old's death prompted scores of newspaper articles about his unusual life and complicated legacy. As for what would happen to his church and business empire, the answer wasn't totally clear. His successor couldn't be Preston any longer, and In Jin was also on the outs. By process of elimination, many expected the youngest son, Sean, to take the lead. After all, Moon had appointed him president of the church after the initial disagreements with Preston. But by that point, Hawk Jaw was past the limits of her patience with her children. Nobody was going to tell her what to do anymore. Coming up, a unification church schism and a new era of politics. Now back to the story. In 2012, Sun Myung Moon died at the age of 92. After a series of ugly family squabbles, his youngest son, Sean Moon, seemed poised to take the family crown. Before we go any further, it's worth taking a moment to talk more about Sean. Like his siblings, he grew up in the lap of luxury, the blessed son of a messiah. From an early age, he was surrounded by church officials, who were willing to give him anything and everything he asked for. The Moon children were practically seen as royalty by their father's disciples, but according to Sean, his parents were typically too busy to grace him with their presence. Some years, he claimed he only saw his mom and dad for a couple of weeks in total. As he got older, the feeling of neglect left him angry and betrayed. Like his father, he searched for answers in religion. He attended Harvard and got his master's degree in theology. After years of studying and largely being disconnected from the activities of the church, he returned in 2007. He was ready to commit himself fully to his father's teaching and be led into the fold. He was just in time to edge out his brother Preston as the church's new president the following year. But after Sun Myung Moon died, things changed. Hak Ja insisted her husband had left her in charge shortly before his death. For his part, Sean believed he'd already been officially designated as his dad's chosen successor. Now that he was close to having actual authority, he likely didn't want to let it go. Hawk Jaw apparently didn't see the use in debate. In 2012, Sean claims she called him to a church facility and flatly told him she was God. When Sean refused to go along with her, he says she froze him out. 
He claims he was barred from church activities and was unable to talk to his mother. A full year after his father's death, Sean tried to reconcile with his mom. He showed up outside a church facility to have a talk with Hawkjaw. According to him, she ordered security guards to ask him to leave. And essentially, that's where things stand today with the larger movement. Hawkjaw, for all intents and purposes, leads the Unification Church as the true mother and an earthly messiah. Meanwhile, Sean and some of his siblings found themselves out of their positions in the organization. But believe it or not, this is where things really get weird. Because Sean Moon decided that God had a plan for him, whether or not his mother recognized it. After breaking with Hawk Jaw, he founded a new organization called the Sanctuary Church, or the Rod of Iron Ministries. It was originally headquartered in Pennsylvania. Why Pennsylvania? Perhaps because that was where another of his siblings, Cook Jin, or Justin Moon, had settled down. The two brothers bonded over their feelings of rejection, and Justin supported Sean's efforts to found a new church. Sean would be the face of the group and the lead pastor, while Justin would supply the weapons. That's right. You see, Justin was never much into the religious aspect of his father's empire. Instead, he developed an early passion for business and guns. After he earned an MBA, he borrowed $5 million from his father to open a small arms manufacturer. His company created a compact 9mm pistol that sold like hotcakes. Upon hearing of his success, his dad absorbed the business into a Unification Church corporation. After that, Justin continued running his company largely outside of the spotlight. He didn't talk much when it came to religious matters, but political issues were another story. Since he owns a gun company, it shouldn't be a surprise that he adamantly defends the U.S. Constitution's Second Amendment, the right to bear arms. That doesn't mean he totally supports the country's current policies on gun control. In fact, he thinks they should be expanded. He told the Washington Post that America could virtually eliminate crime by simply arming every woman in the nation. And his brother Sean agrees, which is why the Rod of Iron Ministries has taken such a vocal position on gun rights. It might seem like we're harping a little too much on a single political position, but it really is a core tenet of Sean's doctrine. Because while his group shares some general beliefs with the larger Unification Church, like revering Sun Myung Moon, Sean's sermons can't really be compared to his father's. For one thing, he literally wears a crown of bullets while preaching. And it's not just him. Many of his dedicated followers, as long as they're married, have been anointed as defenders of God's kingdom. They wear crowns too. Congregants attend ceremonies where they bring in their AR-15s to be blessed by Pastor Sean. To Sean, the regal imagery and weapons go hand in hand. His church's crest features a shield surrounded by AR-15s and crowns. He rides in a Jeep with a custom camouflage paint job. The camo print features the outlines of AR-15s and crowns buried amongst the green and brown. And that's not all. Two Bible verses are also emblazoned on the Jeep's window. One is a psalm, while the other is from the book of Revelation, chapter 2, verse 27. It reads, He shall rule them with a rod of iron. They shall be dashed to pieces like the potter's vessels. Pastor Sean's revelation for his church came when reflecting on that very verse. He thinks the rod of iron mentioned in the Bible is actually an AR-15 rifle. 
In other words, he believes that as the chosen successor of Sun Myung Moon, it's his destiny to rule God's kingdom on Earth and defend his domain as he sees fit. Yet instead of coming off like a fire and brimstone evangelical preacher, Sean keeps his voice calm and level during his services. There's even a hint of humor. He acknowledges that the crown of bullets and his camouflage suit are a bit wacky. He told Vice that his look was a fun way to talk about serious issues. As he sees it, the serious issues revolve around Satan's attempts to infiltrate politics and indoctrinate people into supporting socialism. Taking a page from his father's book, Sean considers socialism to be a threat to Christians everywhere. He calls it worship of the state. To combat it, his church publicly backed former President Donald Trump. Sean claimed that Trump, with the help of God, was working to eradicate satanic elements in the so-called deep state. The connection goes beyond mere rhetoric. Former Trump advisor Steve Bannon has spoken at a church event, as have other right-wing political figures. And over time, Sean's sermons have started to border on the apocalyptic. He tells his followers that, quote, internationalist Marxist globalists are out to stoke war in the U.S. and murder gun owners. Those kinds of speeches have garnered him plenty of publicity, much of it negative. In response, the Unification Church and Hawk Jaw have distanced themselves, insisting they have no connection to the Rod of Iron Ministries. In public statements, the Unification Church has gone so far as to claim Pastor Sean has disregarded his father's teachings. It seems the Unification Church disagrees with all the firearms and Sean's warnings of possible violence. But when it comes to politics, both churches lean conservative. All in all, the statement is a tame rebuke, considering what Sean and his brother Justin have said about their own mother. Sean has accused Hawkjaw of altering his dad's religious writings and has even called her the Whore of Babylon. The real insult came in 2017 when Pastor Sean staged an elaborate ceremony so his father could remarry. Yes, from beyond the grave. The sanctuary church supposedly wedded Sun Myung Moon's spirit to a 90-year-old woman. They claimed Moon's new wife was the first person to join his ministry back in the 50s. The vicious infighting makes for some salacious drama, but it also puts Sean in a pretty awkward position in his own church because he gets much of his legitimacy as a religious leader from his parents. Many members of his congregation once belonged to the Unification Church. Because of his bloodline, that makes Sean and his wife the second king and queen. So like his parents, Sean holds mass weddings and blesses couples that have been matched beforehand. The only difference is that these ceremonies also sometimes include the almighty AR-15. In 2018, the group made headlines after Pastor Sean blessed around 250 couples inside his church. Many of them held unloaded rifles at the ready. Just two weeks after a mass shooting in Parkland, Florida left 17 dead. The church clearly doesn't shy away from controversy. And again, like his father, Sean is aimed to secure his position by forming alliances with right-wing political figures and movements. On January 6, 2021, he was present outside the U.S. Capitol during the insurrection. He did not go inside the building, but remained outside the barricades. 
On an Instagram post a few days later, he called January 6th the Boston Tea Party of the Second American Revolution. He said the insurrectionists who, quote, took dominion of the satanic temple, sent the most powerful people on the planet scurrying away like rats in total fear, total panic, in tunnels. Since then, his church has grown. Current estimates put his following in the hundreds. Since he already had some subjects, Sean decided that as a king, he needed a domain too. In the fall of 2021, the Rod of Iron Ministries bought up 130 acres in Tennessee. The group plans to build a school and training facilities on the property. It also has a 40-acre commune in Texas, purchased for a little under a million dollars. It's advertised as a refuge for patriots, since Pastor Sean contends that his community is living in a dangerous time. Whether or not it's dangerous depends on your perspective, but most would probably agree we are living in an uncertain era. In a way, the scattered history of the Unification Church mirrors that. It's sometimes bizarre, tragic, and upsetting, but mostly it's just exhausting. And despite the odds, the journey continues, with the future less predictable than ever. A year ago, many would have said that the time for the Unification Church had passed on the global stage. Since the 80s, the movement's relevance has declined in the U.S. as a result of the painful succession process and strategic missteps. While it maintains a stronger presence in other countries, that isn't certain either. But 70 years of history doesn't just evaporate with a whimper. And while the church's following may not be what it once was, their wealth, political connections, and prominent businesses are still thriving. The consequences of their actions are reverberating too. Thousands, perhaps millions, were touched by Sun Myung Moon and his family. Not everyone came out on the other side with a smile on their face. On July 8, 2022, the world was reminded of that fact when former Japanese Prime Minister Shinzo Abe was assassinated in the city of Nara. Abe's alleged killer, Tetsuya Yamagami, told police he'd originally intended to kill the true mother herself, Hakja Han. He blamed the Unification Church for plunging his family into poverty, because years earlier, his mother had donated a significant amount to the group, tanking their finances. Because of COVID-19 travel restrictions, Yamagami couldn't target Hakja and allegedly settled on Abe instead. He believed Abe had ties to the Unification Church and that Abe's grandfather, another former prime minister, helped bring the church to Japan. Yamagami allegedly used a homemade projectile weapon to fire at Abe twice. The former prime minister succumbed to his wounds after being rushed to the hospital. The shocking event has brought the Unification Church to the forefront of the public consciousness in Japan. A minority of citizens are sympathetic to Yamagami's alleged motives and have even protested against holding a national funeral for Abe. Since then, the church has pledged to cooperate with authorities. The church said that back in 2009, they agreed to pay back 50 million yen to Mrs. Yamagami. According to Yamagami's uncle, that's about half of what she donated to the church over the years. And there are others in Japan with similar stories. Families have accused the church of using predatory tactics to solicit donations. The church has settled many of these lawsuits over the years. More recently, the group has amended its donation practices in Japan. For now, the Abe story is still developing, and it's unlikely things will be resolved anytime soon. Ultimately, this could mark a new era for the Unification Church, shaking up its policies and changing its trajectory yet again. 
But if Sun Myung Moon taught the world anything, it's that with enough money and connections, there's no limit to what you can overcome. Thanks again for tuning in to the final episode of Cults. You can find all episodes of Cults and all other Spotify originals from Parcast for free on Spotify. For more, you can also check out our book, Cults, Inside the World's Most Notorious Groups and Understanding the People Who Joined Them, available wherever books are sold. Making this show has been such an incredible journey. We all feel so lucky to have been a part of it. We want to thank all the listeners out there again for supporting us and listening over the years. We couldn't have done it without you. Cults is a Spotify original from Parcast. It is executive produced by Max and Ron Cutler. Sound designed by Michael Motion, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Nick Johnson, Trent Williamson, and Carly Madden. This episode of Cults was written by Terrell Wells, edited by Robert Tyler Walker, fact-checked by Catherine Barner, researched by Brian Petrus and Chelsea Wood, and produced by Bruce Kitovich. Cults stars Greg Polson and Vanessa Richardson. Hi, I'm Carter Roy, host of the Spotify original from Parcast, Cold Cases. From burglary and arson to kidnappings and murder, explore the many types of crime, the many ways they remain unsolved, and how long it takes to find the answers, if ever. Catch a new episode of Cold Cases every Monday. Listen free, only on Spotify.